If you turn to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John as we continue our study here through John's Gospel, we find ourselves at one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. And it is, though maybe not the most important of the I Am statements, uh, it is my favorite. Because I think it's here uh, that we get a chance to see us. We get to see this incredibly personal, wonderful God that loves his sheep, loves you, loves me, loves us. And again, I want to give you a little reminder of the context here because this passage is very difficult to personalize and very difficult to understand why the group hearing it would have maybe had a problem with it unless you understand it in a very Jewish context. And so all of these I am statements, the background for them is really found in a story that's probably familiar to most uh, that are in this room if you walk with the Lord for a while. And you remember in Moses' early ministry, as they're wandering through the wilderness, as they come to Mount Horeb, Moses is with this grumbling, complaining group of sheep, and he goes up on the mountain, and it is there on the mountain that he encounters this burning bush. And that burning bush speaks to him. And in doing so, the voice from that bush says to Moses, take off your sandals, for the place that you stand is holy ground. And Moses says to them, you know, these people are just whiners. And so when I go back down, they're not going to believe me. So how am I going to convince them that I've heard from someone? Who should I tell them has sent me? And so what does the voice from the bush say to Moses to say to the people But when you get down there, you tell them that I am, that I am, has sent you. That name becomes YHWH or Yahweh. So when Jesus keeps saying, I am, he's saying YHWH. Yahweh is the good shepherd. That's the context of these statements. And that's why the Jewish audience that's listening on the pharisaical side is so upset. You've got to quit saying that you're God. You, You can't keep speaking these things. And yet the Lord Jesus not only doesn't stop... Seven times he uses this I am formula to say, I am, like last week, the door of the sheep. No one comes into the sheepfold. No one goes out of the sheepfold. For I am the door. We're actually going to get to John chapter 14 and he's going to, so go so much further past that one, he's going to go, look, you didn't get it before that I'm the door. 
I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So this is the fourth I am. I am the good shepherd. We'll pick up in verse 11, we'll take down to verse 21, and let's pray as the Lord speaks through his word. Father, we thank you for the incredible beauty of this passage, this personal, wonderful treatment of us as your sheep. And we are grateful, Lord, that you love us, that you truly do lay down your life and did lay down your life for us on Calvary's cross. And so, Lord, we bless your name, and we pray now that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11, here in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And now he's going to give us a contrast. And while I will not spend a bunch of time on it, I think it bears understanding in verse 12 to contrast himself with a bad shepherd. With someone who does not care about the sheep, he makes it very clear that there are people pretending to be good shepherds or of the good shepherd. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. For the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. And the application of this passage should be fairly obvious. But let me just say to you, there's no place in the good shepherd's ministry for pastors who are hirelings. For pastors who take exorbitant salaries. For pastors who live in multi-million dollar homes. And for pastors who are primarily in the ministry for the perks. Those are hirelings, and no one should follow them. Jesus makes it clear that the role of the shepherd, and I am simply an under-shepherd, or better yet, a sheepdog underneath Jesus, is to do what the good shepherd does for his sheep, which is to lay down his life for the sheep. That's the role of every pastor, is to be a lover of sheep. And if a pastor doesn't love sheep, perhaps that pastor ought to not be a pastor. Jesus goes on so that we don't miss this, and you can see this contrast between verse 11 and verse 14, this interjection here of what a good shepherd is not, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep, which I have, which are not of this fold, to them I must also bring. 
You're kind of going, another fold, another group? What, what is that? Remember, it's Jewish. There is another group of sheep, and one day, just exactly as your Bible plainly declares in Romans chapter 11, one day all the sheep of Israel will also be saved. And so Jesus is simply making an illusion that there are some of them there that were there that day that were Jewish and they were hearing the message, but Jesus was the good shepherd of the Jewish flock and the Gentile flock, and then so that we would understand that, notice what he says next. Because I know my sheep, I have this other flock, I must bring them, they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The very thing that the Apostle Paul codifies in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians when he says there is one faith and one Lord and one baptism and one Lord that's over all. There's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. There's just the church, and he's the good shepherd of everyone. Amen? Amen? Amen. But that Jewish church is still kind of wandering around a little bit. Some have come in to the sheepfold, some have not. But one day, he's going to gather even the Jewish part of his fold together to him. And therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Can you imagine as the disciples are hearing these words and they get to that week which we call Passion Week or the Easter week which we just celebrated The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Amen? So what does Jesus do? You see, we're tempted to believe that Judas the betrayer went and got a cohort of Roman soldiers who came with the emissaries of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, and eventually arrested Jesus and took him before Pilate. And Pilate sent him off to Herod, and Herod sent him back to Pilate, And the Jewish people cried out, crucify him, for we do not want this man to rule over us. You see, we're tempted to believe that Jesus was murdered. And while it's true he was brutally maltreated, and while it's true he was killed, he actually laid down his life for the sheep. They didn't take it from him. In fact, Scripture declares that for this very purpose, Jesus says, I have come into the world, that the world through me might have life. And so his mission has all along to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And he says, I lay it down, no one takes it from me. But I lay it down myself, and I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up. So you can imagine as the disciples are wandering around the region of Galilee, those 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, and all of a sudden here's Jesus, they're going, oh, that's what you meant. It's you, Lord. And this command I have received from my Father. You ever wondered why the prophet Isaiah was so pinpoint accurate? For unto us a 
child is born and unto us a son is given. You see, in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had a little meeting. And effectively, they said, Jesus, it's time to go do this. And God the Father looked at Jesus the Son and said, Son, it's time to go. I'm sending you into the world that the world through you would be saved. And so the prophecy of Isaiah, there in chapter 9, chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 52 and 53, all of that prophetic word was this one good shepherd who would come and lay down his life for the sheep. Notice the two responses begin in verse 19. You can see the largely Jewish audience. And therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. They're like, we're just not, we're not good with this. You keep saying, in effect, that you are Yahweh, and you are the good shepherd, that you are the Son of God, you are the keeper of the door of the sheep, you are the light, you are the one who's the living water, you are the bread, he's going to go on to say. You keep saying, this is just not okay. But notice how, notice how the tide begins to turn. The first group is as you might expect, and there was division among them again because of these sayings. And verse 20, and many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? You see, these two responses are pretty much still the two responses. Either Jesus is who he says he is, and he's the only begotten son, and the only way to God the Father, or he's not, and if he's not, then he is crazy. Or, others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You can see the light's gone on. They're beginning to get the picture. When Jesus says he is the good shepherd, and I want you to keep your finger here in the 10th chapter of John, and while you're doing that, if you'd turn to the 23rd Psalm, while you're turning there, I I want to focus in on the word good, because Jesus says it twice. I am the good shepherd. You see, when we think of good, we think of it in a very different way than Jesus intends it and Scripture intends it. When we think of good, if someone practices music on any instrument for a period of time, they can become good. If someone practices cooking for a period of time, they can become good at cooking. That is experiential understanding, and it leads to experiential goodness. You were in one place, you learned something, you're now better at it, so you're good. And to that end, when we say something is good, it doesn't necessarily mean excellent. Amen? It doesn't necessarily mean perfect either. Amen? So the word that Jesus is using, translated here good, 
is a very different understanding of good. It means intrinsically good. And so one could say that this rendition of this word translated good actually means that Jesus is internally, intrinsically good, and thereby he is a goodness savant. Just like someone who wakes up one morning and all of a sudden they can play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. That's not learned. It's internal. It comes from who they actually are. Jesus is good. He is good at being merciful. He is good at being kind. He is good at being forgiving. It, in essence, supersedes everything else. So as the good shepherd, he is a perfectly good shepherd. As the one who said to tell us die, it is finished. He's perfectly good at finishing the work on the cross. He's perfectly good at forgiveness. He's perfectly good at mercy. He's perfectly good at grace. He is not insufficient in any way, shape, or form. He is not deficient in any way, shape, or form. Nothing can be added because he is a savant at goodness. So when it says he's the good shepherd... It means there is no one that's equivalent to him. He's the good shepherd, as opposed to the kind of sort of mediocre shepherd, or the almost nearly good shepherd, or the very sort of close to good shepherd, but not quite shepherd. In other words, he's the shepherd of shepherds. No one will ever teach him anything about being a shepherd because he is all there is that needs to be to be a good shepherd. And to that end, the reason that I wanted to share that with you is as you look at the 23rd Psalm, I want you to see exactly how good a shepherd he is. So David writes this psalm about a thousand years before Jesus is born. And in it, he's describing his own experience with the good shepherd. He he begins to, in these few verses, these six simple verses, he fills this entire passage with a very personal interaction between himself and the good shepherd. Now, I want you to just notice as we read through this, because I want you to understand it, I believe the way it's intended for us to grasp this passage as we relate it to John chapter 10. Because here it says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. You have two people. You have the Lord... And you have David. There's no one else in this. And so in that sense, it's a picture of your relationship and my relationship and every last sheep's relationship with the good shepherd. And so circle the Lord or circle the he and the his and then maybe underline the I, me, and the my's, 
Because on one side you have who the good shepherd is, and on the other side you have who is it that receives the goodness of the good shepherd. Let's read it together. The Lord is my good shepherd, and I shall not want. He, the good shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He, the good shepherd, makes me go beside the still waters. And he, the good shepherd, restores my soul. He, the good shepherd, leads me in the paths of righteousness for his, the good shepherd's namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, the good shepherd, are with me. For your rod, good shepherd, and your staff, good shepherd, they comfort me. For you, good shepherd, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you, good shepherd, anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the good shepherd, the Lord, forever. Amen? You see, it helps to put that in context, doesn't it? Sure, this was David, and yes, he's writing about his own experience, but you are no less important to God than David. So this is your psalm as well, from your good shepherd. And it is so beautiful when you look at it that way. And the good shepherd didn't pick out all the good sheep, he picked out the bad sheep, amen? <laughs> He loves all of us. The stinky ones, the ones with sticks and burrs and missing pieces of fur and everything else. So the context here is you have these bad shepherds who don't care for the sheep at all, but the good shepherd cares for the bad sheep. Isn't that awesome? Think about who he is in that regard. And what he said here, I want to give you just six things to pull from this. And then kind of the characteristics that go along with it on your side. You see, because you can see the things that the Lord is. Look, it says, I shall not lack peace and rest. Anybody in here need peace and rest? I do. You see, the world steals peace and rest. Connie and I were in San Francisco yesterday. We went actually to watch a Dodger game as a birthday gift to her brother. I hate San Francisco. Because <laughs> there is no peace and no rest. And when you wander around the city, it's like this constant... Yeah. But the good shepherd wants to give you peace and he wants to give you rest. He, he wants your life to be touched by him. Notice what he says. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He's not simply a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who wants to do these things for you. You see what he says to me? He says to Jeff, he says, Jeff, I want you to come over here because you're not at peace and rest. I want you to lie down right here. Because if you go over here, you're not going to have peace and rest. You're going to have what the world wants to give you, and that's not peace and rest. So, Jeff, I want you to stay over here with me in the sheepfold. And here's what we do as believers. We're inside the sheepfold. We go to the nearest crack, and we start doing this. (laughs) Hey, Bob, look. All right, I'll pick another name. Hey, Susie, look out of this crack over here. That looks really exciting. And the Lord's going, Jeff, that's bad for you. And I'm saying, are are, are you sure? Because we try and tell God how to give us peace and rest. And he's saying, look, would you just lie down? But we think we know better. So we climb up on the top of the wall. We look over the top of the wall. We're looking for a new field. And he's saying, just stay put. You're okay where you're at. He wants to give us peace and rest. And we're trying to find some place that has peace and rest. And we're already sleeping in it. we got to stay where the Lord is. Better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Amen? He wants to give us that kind of peace. But we can wander away so we don't have it. A second thing is he wants to give us abundant life. He wants your life to be abundant. And notice I did not say, because it would be heretical, abundance. Abundant And abundance are two different things. He wants to give you peace sometimes in the middle of the storm. Amen? He may not save you from the storm, but he wants to give you peace and rest in it. And in the same way, he can use trial and tribulation to give you an abundant life. Because it is there that you find joy in things that truly matter. It is there that your faith grows. It is there that you as a Christian begin to rest and trust in the Lord and not in your own strength. So that arm of flesh is not forced to always sustain you. You rest in the arms of the Lord. He wants to give you abundant life. He delights to do these things for us. But we have to submit to what he wants. And so to that end, he's restoring your soul. He's saying, Jeff, you don't need more stuff. You need more of me. You don't need what's outside the sheepfold. You need more of who's in the door. Amen? These things are life-altering for us if we'll live them. Anybody ever messed up your own life by going the wrong direction? Oh, amen. You see, his paths of righteousness and our paths that we find ourselves very often are not the same path, amen? 
And so you're like, you're peering out. It's like, oh, that looks good over there. And he said, no, Jeff, the reason you have that feeling as you're driving up to the marijuana dispensary is because it's bad. You need to listen to me. I'm trying to lead you and guide you. I'm trying to tell you where to go and how to get there. And you're kind of doing the wandering sheep dance. And then so you wonder why you don't have the peace that comes from resting in the sheepfold and being on the path that leads to still waters because you're trying to find the stuff you're not supposed to have. And so the Lord says, why don't you let me pick your path? Why don't you let me lead and guide you? I'll give you direction, but I'm going to do it for my name's sake. It's going to be my terms, Jeff, not yours. And so I'm going to take a few things away from you, and I'm going to make it so that you understand which path it is that leads to still waters, that leads to green pastures, and not all roads lead there. So you've got to be listening. got to be hearing. You see, we try and direct our own steps, and what happens? She's hot. <laughs> He's rich. <laughs> if I go there, I'll get more money. See, we try and direct our own steps, and we use ungodly tools very often to get there. We wonder why the path that we're on ends up being a path of destruction. You've got to listen to the Lord. And to that end, ultimately, if you want safety from your enemies, if you want to be able to walk through the valley of shadow of death and not fear, you've got to let the good shepherd go with you. But see, sometimes we go through our own valleys of fear and we use our own tools to try and defeat the enemy and we're unsuccessful. We're not by quiet waters. We're not there in stillness. We don't have the safety because we're trusting in our own selves. And look, the longer you walk on this earth, there's a couple of things you can be absolutely assured of. One is you don't have all the answers. And get an amen. I don't have all the answers. I have a few answers, like eight. Maybe nine. No, but the Lord's got all the answers. And so he knows how to get you through that valley. He knows what part of it's for you, and he knows what part of it's not for you. And it's crazy, but how many times have we gone through the valley of the shadow of death to find out on the other side of it's the green pasture? Amen? All of a sudden you're going, wow, I'd have never known that that road leads there. And all the while the Lord's trying to work in your life, and you're like, I'm not going, I'm too scared. And he's saying, trust me. Rest in me. I've got these enemies taken care of. You let me have them. A fifth thing. And aren't we prone to try and get what we want instead of get what God wants? 
If you want the best provision of the Lord, let him do that. I can't tell you how many people I talk to. It's like, I don't even know how I got here. I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. You know, we we all want the, the superior model of everything, don't we? There's no question that most of us would rather have more than less. But we want God's provision. And to that end, what he's actually promised is an eternal home, the sixth thing. You see, that's the reason why when you go into a model home, housing development into the housing tract, and they're at the front, are the models, and they're like completely decked out with every option they offer. It's got like gold fixtures and marble tile throughout the whole thing and window treatments, and they spent a jillion dollars putting furniture in it. You ain't getting that one. They're messing with your head. Or you go to the the car dealer and you go in the showroom and there it is. It's always red. It always has custom wheels, custom sound system, custom everything. Even the custom things are custom. (laughs) And then you find out what you can actually afford and it's got crank up windows. (laughs) You see, the Lord doesn't do that to you. He doesn't show you the high-end model and then this is what you can get on your own. He actually gives you the mansion in heaven. Amen? Praise the Lord. He's he's not messing with you. And again, if I just insulted you because you're in real estate or car, that's on me, okay? I didn't mean to do that. It was just simply an example. It was the only one I could think of, so... No, I actually wrote it down. So, <laughs> But it's true, isn't it? You see, we want more. We want the best. But the truth is, by our own arm, we can never get it. We never get what we think we deserve. We never get what we think we want until it comes to the good shepherd. And then you got a mansion not made with hands in the heavens. Amen? So you're going to get the one that's the best. That's because he's good. He's the good shepherd. But in return for that, guess what we give him? (laughs) We don't have a lick of sense. We wander off. We go down every pathway. We go where we're not supposed to go. He's got a great plan for us, and we're like, no. I'm not doing it, Lord. I'm going over here. How about, do any of you have guard sheep at home? You got like a thing on your gate on your side yard that says danger, lambs. It has like fierce fangs. No, you don't, because sheep are not dangerous. They can't even get out of their own way. They're so non-dangerous, they can't see their own feet. Okay? These are hairy animals that smell. They're like Velcro and they attract dirt. They're defenseless. They're not mighty. They're weak. You ever wondered why we get called sheep all the time in Scripture? Read these things. Figure it out. 
We're forever wandering. We're always getting lost. We're not very strong. We say we're strong. We wander around. Oh, yeah, I can handle it. They're virtually defenseless. You know, sheep don't have, like, you know, poison spines coming out of their hooves or anything. They're just fuzzy things that if you push them over, sheep are so defenseless that sometimes they can't even get up. They lay over. When they get older, it's just like, I'm going to lay here and die. You ever notice they don't have fingers? They cannot clean themselves. If you've ever been around a wet sheep, very unpleasant. Why? Because they collect every last little bit of dirt that exists anywhere in their little sheep world. And so wherever the sheep has been, they have collected little chunks of the world in their fur. And so you look in there, it's like, wow, that's last week's lunch. (laughs) There's sticks and cockle burrs, and they're just filthy. So much so that God gave them a built-in cleaning system called lanolin. They're actually anointed with oil, so that their fur is kind of oily, so that at least some of the dirt actually falls off. Otherwise, they'd be just a giant dirt clod. They need someone to clean them. I need someone to clean me. For if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from every last stick and briar and thorn and cockle burr and dirty place that we've ever wandered. You see, we give him our worst and he gives us his best. That's because he's a good shepherd. And you know, the crazy thing is, is we sometimes even grumble about him being good to us. Because we see somebody else and we think that God was better to them than he was to us. And we're like, God, no, come on, I didn't get that. (laughs) And he loves us anyway. Would you love you? No! You wouldn't. You wander around and you look at all the people on earth. If you're looking for somebody that you can love, just stop now because you're never going to find them. Seriously. If God doesn't do that work in you, everyone falls short of everyone's expectations in some way, shape, or form. There's no no such thing as a perfect human being. We grumble, we complain, we whine. We cause God all kinds of issues and difficulties. We're disobedient and rebellious, and we go where we shouldn't go and do what we shouldn't do. And he loves us anyway. Isn't that crazy? That's just nuts. You know why? Because he's a good shepherd. Amen? He's good. And if that weren't enough, he dies for his sheep. Now imagine you've got a flock of sheep and maybe you've got one like gold-plated super sheep. It's your prized sheep. And it never gets dirty. And it's really, you know, perfectly, you know, for a sheep, it's that. It's, it's got like, it's got a six-pack, I think. This is a strong sheep and it's a healthy sheep and it never gives you any problems. 
no matter what happens, you are not dying for that sheep. Amen? It's like you get down to the end, it's like, go ahead, kill the sheep. It's just true. It is true. You're not dying for a sheep. That's because you don't love the sheep the way God loves you. That's how much He loves us. He did die for you. With all your faults and with all your weaknesses, with all the problems that we cause God, you know, sometimes I think when I get up in the morning, God just goes, oh no. He's up again. (laughs) He sends a couple legions of angels, go track him. He's going somewhere. The good shepherd. It's who he is. He has still waters for you. He has beautiful green pastures for you. He, he knows how to grow his own flock. He wants to bring others in. Just rest in him. Amen? Worship team's going to come back out. The shepherd is good. Would you stand with me? And maybe you came today and perhaps you're one of those people that you know the Lord, you know the good shepherd, but Maybe you've given him a few headaches this week. Know this, he loves you. The good shepherd loves you. He's not mad at you. He wants those things to be taken care of because he wants the best for you. He wants a nice green pasture. He wants some still water for you. He wants peace. He wants safety. He wants you to know how much he loves you and cares for you, but you've got to help him with that. Maybe you've been a little wayward if that's you. Our prayer room's going to be open. Prayer team's available. Just go and pray and get cleaned up. Leave the, leave the building as a, as a cleaner sheep than when you came in. <laughs> Amen? Maybe you need a good shearing. That always helps me. <laughs> a little pruning, maybe. A couple of limbs lopped off. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the good shepherd. He loves you. And he died for you. And if that's you, we have a team in there. I'd love to pray with you for you to receive the good news of the good and free gift of salvation that the Good Shepherd offers to anyone who will ask. For the rest of us, our, our mission is to go out and be good sheep and rest in the Good Shepherd. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you laid down your life for us. And Lord, we're giving you our lives back in return. We're we're honoring you by surrendering. Lord, we don't want to be wayward sheep. We want to be good sheep because you're a good shepherd. And so help us in our areas of weakness, Lord, where we've picked up a stick or two from the world. We're asking you to pluck them out. Lord, if we need to be sheared so we can start over, then shear us, God. But we thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.